Romans 2, 1 to 6, God's righteous judgment. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when a mere human being pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. And our second reading is Romans 2, 17 to 24. The Jews and the law. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what his superior because of you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do, not, do, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And if I can invite David up to come and join us, I'm delighted that we've got David here uh, to preach this evening, was here this morning, and um, David, you're going to stay and do some Q&A with yes. our youth and young adults after service. Excited. That's my favourite part. That's good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I met David a few years ago at a, the College of Archbishops Evangelists, which we were both refounding members of. Yeah. Um, David's become a friend. It's wonderful yeah, to have you so here, to here this here. evening. Um, David's written a book which is brilliant and is on the back, and if, um, if you want to hear more, think more after tonight, you can buy his book for um, a discounted price for tenor at the back, so do, do take that. Um, but David, let me pray for you, you. As, we, as we kick off. Father, thank you for David. Thank you for your love for him. Thank you, Lord, for his love for you, uh, for the burden you've given him, the gift of leading people to know you. I pray, Lord, that you would speak through him tonight, that as he opens the scriptures to us, as he shares from his life, uh, that you would speak Lord Jesus, that you would be glorified, that you would give us your burden for radical holiness, radical inclusion. Mm. Yes, Lord. Pray, Lord Jesus, that you would fill David with your spirit, your compassion, your boldness, your wisdom, your truth, mm. and that you would give us soft hearts to hear from you. Mm. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Tom. Well, it's a real delight and pleasure to be here. Uh, I was just at Holy Trinity Brompton yesterday preaching up a storm on singleness and marriage. So if you have any questions about that tonight, I'm also <laughs> up for those questions. But my real passion, I suppose, in life has been, I would say, heaven. I'm obsessed with heaven. What is heaven? Heaven is not some far-off place in the sky. Heaven is the presence of God with us. And hell is the incapacity to know that presence. 
Now, our sexual identity, if it's understood without the presence of God, leads us to destruction. It doesn't matter if you're gay or straight. (laughs) It will lead you to destruction. The only way to understand human sexual identity is with a heavenly mind. That doesn't mean someone off in the clouds with the cherubs playing lovely music. It's actually a very concrete, material, physical place that is actually starting now. We are, as the church, we are the new creation humanity. It started. Tonight is the beginning. Or is it just a worship service where we do a nice thing, feel good about ourselves, and go home? And what I want to talk to you tonight about is basically how heaven broke into my life. As a total non-believer, as an atheist, gay activist that hated the church and thought I was condemned by God and the church and that God therefore couldn't exist. That notion that God had allowed me to have these desires for the same sex, done nothing to change them and then condemned me for it. What kind of sycophant is that? What kind of, I couldn't worship a God like that. And often in the church, we've made the question of sexual identity and sexuality just about ethics. But I actually think it's far deeper than that. It's actually about the human wrestle with the question of suffering. Why would you allow me, again, to have these desires, do nothing to change them, and condemn me for them? And we as the church have over-moralized sexuality. We haven't allowed the mystery component of human sexuality to be known. And I did a doctorate on, on, on this in Oxford, and I've spent years and years studying it, and I'm telling you, it is unsearchably deep. <laughs> I still have a lot of questions I have some answers, but I still have a lot of questions. But I know a person who is the answer. I know a person who is the truth. But I don't know everything about that person yet. And Paul says, we will know as we are now fully known. That means on the other side of the resurrection, finally, I might actually, I think I will actually understand why God allowed me to be gay. And on this side of the resurrection, I think I have a few clues to why he's allowed the church to be torn apart by these questions. But I'm not gonna let you know what they are straight away. You might even have to buy my book to find out. (laughs) But hopefully I can get most of them to you in half an hour. Uh, So, that's, so, I called my book A War of Loves because my story starts really in that place of wrestling with my sexual identity. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I was raised in an agnostic atheist home. But my mom became a Christian when I was 16. I came out when I was 14. I was the first person ever to come out of my school. And I was woke before woke was woke. Thank you. And um, so if you're, you know, in the younger generation, you think this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I do. I studied postmodern philosophy. I was like the ultimate disciple of a certain kind of way of seeing reality. And there's a lot of truth in that lens. It's not all wrong. But without God, it doesn't work. That's what I found out. And I'm going to tell you the story of how that happened. But that was kind of 
the wrestle of these two kind of definitions of love. One was the church saying, God is love, but that didn't really mean anything tangible to me as a gay person because I was still in that question. And this other view of love, sex and romance is like the highest form of intimacy you could ever have. And if you don't have access to that, you're the most to be pitied. And well, just enjoy your misery because I'm going off and going to have lots of partners or a marriage and you can just enjoy being single and alone and desperate. When I'm on Instagram, I constantly feel like that. I don't know if you do. Or on TikTok, I'm like, oh, yeah, I should be married. Oh, I should have a partner. Oh. And this, the good life is constantly being sold to me. But I have to keep reminding myself, no, Jesus is the husband of my soul. No, this new creation, heaven is coming to earth. And that is way better than anything that has been communicated to me by the society. It really is so much better. And guess what? It's universal, even for people who aren't in relationships. It's for all people. And actually, that worldview that I imbibed as that young 14-year-old was not inclusive at all. It was extremely exclusive, and yet claimed to be radically inclusive. And even when I was in it politically, if I had one belief that wasn't exactly aligned with it, I was rejected. And it was only the people that agreed with everything. And then they fought about what the code of what that looked like. And that's really fascinating because the same thing was happening in these passages of Scripture. And we're going to go into that, that there was this law, this morality that the Jews believed in. And they said, if you don't fit within that, you're out. There's no way in for you. And what Paul is trying to show them is there's never been a way in for anyone under the law. No one can live up to their own moral standard. Not even the Jews who had the divine and holy law could live up to it let alone us who aren't Jews trying to live up to our own morality, we all fall short of the glory of God. So we're going to talk about that. But I never heard that message from the church. All I heard was a wooden morality. And I have a personal hashtag. Hashtag fabulous made glorious. <laughs> now, why do I have this hashtag? Well, it really offends homophobic people, and I'm happy to offend them. Um, <laughs> And it also makes queer people probably feel a little bit more comfortable, like, oh, good, this guy, you know, understands what my life is like. But that's actually not the reason I have this personal hashtag. The reason I, I like to see this appear somewhere on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook is because I think that in particularly the evangelical church, sometimes we've become too obsessed with the fact that sin defines everything. And we've forgotten that in the beginning, God created us ornately beautiful. Every single one of us is ornately beautiful. Do we believe that? We are all fabulous. And some of us may be a little extra fabulous. <laughs> but we are all fabulous in our own way. And when God looks at us, he sees his fabulous creation. I'm sorry, RuPaul, but like, You've got nothing on the angels. You've got nothing on the original image, right? As fun as those shows are, they're an attempt to try to create that beauty again, but it falls short. Only the resurrection can restore that fabulous. <laughs> and that's why we love all these shows that are about, you know, restoring homes and 
doing up people's like physical image and you know, queer eye for the straight guy. <laughs> if you know that. It's because we want the fabulous again. We've lost the fabulous. And it's so interesting, because the gay community, we've become the fabulous ones. We make everyone fabulous. <laughs> but actually, what's within that is a craving for our original humanity that God created ornately beautiful in the beginning. And often in Christian circles, I start to miss the gay community because they're so honest and they're so real about their lives. And as Christians, we need to be real like that. We need to regain a little bit of that fabulous. And yes, we are sinners. And yes, there was a fall. And that means none of us can be righteous in and of our own strength. They've got no, nothing in us that can merit salvation, okay? But that doesn't mean we're not still fabulous. And so when I call myself same-sex attracted or gay, I hear these Christians say, why do you call yourself that? That's not your identity anymore. And I'm like, of course it's part of my identity. It's part, yes, it's fallen, but it's also part of the fact I was made in the beginning to have desire, to want good things. And yes, it's all of our human like, sexual orientation has been subjected to the fall, to just decay and frustration, as Paul says, but it still harkens back to an original good. So not everything about being gay is horrendous or bad. You know, not every, I don't have to throw everything. It's not erasing myself. That is not what the gospel is about. It's about giving yourself up, denying yourself, picking up your cross, and following Jesus. Because God doesn't want to leave us here. He wants to make us glorious. He allowed the fall because hidden within the fall is the makeup to allow an even greater glory than the original self. He wants to reveal something even more incredible that looks so much like Jesus Christ that each one of us will radiate with glory in the new creation. I think I won't be gay in the new creation, but I'm going to have a glory that corresponds to living that out faithfully in my earthly life. So whatever your burden is or your difficulty or your question, if you live that out faithfully, there will be a glory in the new creation of like, and you're going, we're all gonna look at each other like, whoa, that's so glorious. And the fabulous won't be gone, but the glorious will take precedence. And so I just want us to live in these tensions. That's what I'm trying to teach tonight about sexuality, identity, our humanity. We are destined for glory in Jesus Christ. But the only way there is through the, the only way there is through Jesus. But I didn't know that because as a young 14-year-old, I was controlled by self-rejection. Let me bring up a quote from, from one of my favorite spiritual writers. His name's Henry Nouwen, and he himself was a same-sex attracted Catholic priest. I don't use the word gay because that's not how he personally identified. And there is some argumentation about whether he actually was, but I, it's pretty clear that he was. And he wrote this. I've come to realize that the greatest trap in our life is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. These things can present a great temptation, but their seductive quality often comes from the way they are part of the much larger temptation to self-rejection. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us 
the beloved. Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. When our original parents, Adam and Eve, in the story of Genesis, fall, they run away from God and cover themselves. But what does God do? He runs after them. Their sin could not obliterate God's love for them. Had absolutely no power to do that. And yet, the lie of sin is that God has rejected you because of it. The lie I had imbibed is because I'm gay, and it's a complex thing, it's not just about sin, but still there was sin within there, God couldn't love me because I'm gay. And that is the deepest lie, that is the root of sin. It's not actually rebellion from God. Rebellion from God is a deeper, is a symptom of a deeper issue, which is this self-rejection. And so many LGBTQI plus people, we have felt so rejected by the church and so rejected by God that we don't want to hear about the gospel because we don't have an access point. That's what we believe. But that's a lie. That is not true. Jesus made a way where it looked like there is no way. And I'm going to explain to you the way he made in my life to get me to realize that I was the beloved. And actually, I was a 14-year-old, had just come out, I'd met this boyfriend online who went to school down the road, and he was really cute, and he was Russian Orthodox, his name was Vladimir, and was sitting in a park, and he had bought me this little Russian Orthodox amber cross with gold flecks in it, and he put it in my hand, he's like, this is my baptism cross, and I want you to have this. Why would you give me a symbol of our oppression as LGBTQI plus people as a gift? What has bewitched you? And he's like, David, David, I just a moment, like, I'm just, I need to give this to you because there's a desire in you that I can't fulfill, that no human being will ever be able to fulfill. Like, you're looking for something so much deeper than what any romantic relationship can provide you, so here. My non-Christian boyfriend was evangelizing me. And in that moment, as I went to go on another rant, he kissed me to shut me up. And as we're kissing, a man pulls up on the motorbike and throws a large stone against my back. And I remember thinking, that cross in my hand is the origin of that homophobia. And I'm going to dedicate my life to destroying Christianity in the church so that LGBTQI plus people like me can be free. But what was actually going on is I think God put that cross in my hand to say, David, I identify with you. I know what it's like to be rejected because of my identity as the Son of God. And I don't throw a stone at you. I condemn those stones, and I have the stones thrown at me. But because I was controlled by self-rejection, I couldn't see the grace that was right in front of my eyes. And continually throughout my life, God had been trying to reach me. And I can tell you another story. I went to see a psychic because I had this spiritual hunger in me, even though I'd become a French existentialist and was reading Simone de Beauvoir and Jean-Paul Sartre and wanted to move to France and buy an apartment in Paris and have my gay partner and a poodle and an adopted orphan. That was my personal utopia. It hasn't changed that much now, but you know, Jesus has joined the equation. Um, slightly reinvented version uh, in Oxford. Um, and <laughs> anyway, and so, so as this is happening, 
You know, I'm going to the psychic, my feminist friend is sipping her soy chai latte waiting for me to get my tarot cards read and I go in and there's this very stereotypical tarot card reader with like rosy cheeks and a velvet jacket called Rosemary. I couldn't get, couldn't get better. And so she's turning over her tarot cards with the scent, the, the scent of patchouli oil and sandalwood like wafting through the room. And she looks up at the last card and she says, David, you're a child of the light. And I was like, what? <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> you're destined to be with Jesus. What? <laughs> the greatest mediator in the spiritual realms. I said, can I have my $20 back, please? I did not come here to be lectured about Jesus. And I stormed out of there and I was furious. And I sat down with my friend at that cafe and I said, that lady, that tarot card reader, she is using this whole psychic tarot card thing as an undercover evangelist. And you, if you are an LGBTQI plus ally, you better go back there and expose her. So I want you to go back and if she mentions Jesus, we're just, we're gonna go confront her. She was like, David, maybe you just need to relax. Maybe it's like true. Maybe you need to be open to the universe. Maybe you will become a Christian. And I was like, go back. Mark my words. I will never become a Christian. It's like that voice of self-rejection, that voice of pain, of feeling outside the righteousness of God. It's horrible. And that's what all of humanity is dealing with without Jesus. That's why it's so important that we preach the gospel and we get the gospel to all people, particularly LGBTQI plus people. Why are they the last? You know, maybe we've overdone it in our society now and it's all just LGBTQI plus all the time. But maybe God is trying to encourage us, do it, guys. Bring that gospel to David Bennett. <laughs> and it's the angry people that are actually the ones who want it the most. And it's scary. Sometimes you just have to not be afraid and be like, it's okay. It's all going to be okay. And like, you can actually just love those people. Jesus says, love your enemy. And I don't even think most LGBTQI plus people really are our enemies. And so, to me, the church looked a lot more like a holy club that felt that it was righteous in its own self and constantly had these very strange theories for why I was gay. Tried to kind of explain away my suffering. You're just like everyone else. Stop identifying as gay. Da -da 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 -da. And I was like, I'm facing this huge mystery. What the? You expect me to accept that as an explanation? Of course I'm not going to. Of course, that doesn't make any sense, <laughs> you know? And so to me, like in the book of Job, if you've read the book of Job, it's about this man who suffers and loses his whole family, all his wealth and everything because he has faith. And God trusts him that God would still love him even if he lost everything. Job had found a love worth dying for. And that's actually what I had to find as well, is a love worth dying for, a love worth giving up everything. And Job's friends stand around him, explaining his suffering away constantly with very bizarre theological and other theories for why he's suffering. And that's how the church seemed to me, that rather than becoming Job with the gay community, like God had done with us in Jesus Christ, the church stood away and judged from afar and sent little missiles of condemnation and worsened the problem of self-rejection, rather than following Jesus by coming alongside those who are different to ourselves and suffering with them. I love the cross because it's this incredible revelation of the God who doesn't stand far away in our suffering and doesn't explain suffering away or the mystery of why we have to suffer, 
but comes and suffers with us, alongside us in the person of Jesus. There is no greater answer to the problem of evil and suffering in the world. Like, that's it, folks. That's the best answer. And it was enough for me, eventually, in my story. And what I also love about this is that I wasn't looking for God, but I was looking for love. And so I got to this point where I was, you know, imbibing all of this secular philosophy and going to all the political events and at university, finally gotten out of a depressive school system so that I could fight heteronormativity. And, you know, I was going to all these parties, but I was finding myself still so empty. And constantly, God was trying to reach me, knocking on my door, and I would just shut it because I still felt rejected. But even while I was a sinner, Christ had died for me. So many people out there, Jesus has died for them, and they're simply waiting for a Christian that gets that they need an invitation. That's it. That's the only difference between you and them. That's the only you and them part of it. There's nothing in us that merits our salvation. Absolutely nothing. And so I was waiting in that place, and I, I was at the Christmas lunch table in 2008 with my white, cisgender, heterosexual, middle-class, lawyer, Pentecostal uncle. And he had absolutely no intersectional capital, and I was ready to destroy my cultural enemy. And so he mentions God, and I explode. You know, this is a Greek family, so we talk about religion and politics all the time. So there we are. He's mentioned it, and I said, well, you Christians think there's an absolute truth. There is no absolute truth. You can't even communicate truth with language, let alone talk about God. You're just deluded. Come off it. And look at all the damage that Christianity has done to the LGBTQI plus community, to women in empire, in the crusades. Like, there is nothing good about this faith. Can you please stop talking about a deluded notion of living forever in the sky with a first century Palestinian Jewish carpenter? That is not going to help the world. Let's just close the shop and move on. He said, well, David, thank you for that, but uh, there's a few problems with what you're saying. You just said there's no absolute truth. That's an absolute truth. You just communicated that with language, so you just doubly contradicted yourself. And by the way, the problem is you think truth is a concept in your head. It's actually not. It's a person. His name is Jesus Christ, and I don't know that person perfectly. I'm not going to claim to be able to answer every question, but I know that person is the truth. And I was like, whatever. Good for you, straight man. I'm queer. I'm here, and I win. And I stormed out of the room. And as I was storming out of the room, he sees the Holy Spirit coming upon me in three months' time. And that God was showing him that I would become a Christian in three months' time. Three months later, I'm in a pub in the gay quarter of Sydney. And I started to see through the political world. And I'd been a Mardi Gras parade official and been to the after party. And I just found the whole gay world so empty and so vapid. And I couldn't really find a place that explained to me like what being gay was about. Because constantly it was always about this kind of promiscuity or going out to a nightclub and like sleeping with all these people. And I was like, what being gay is about? That's your choice to live that life. That's not Being gay is just having an orientation 
decks. And so I couldn't really find a place of belonging. And I was in this pub, and there was this young filmmaker there who'd made her film about disabled people and their, how they weren't understood and how they were rejected in society. And she got it into the largest short film competition in the world. So I was never expecting her to say that she was a, Christ a Christian. I would never have seen her as a Christian. You know, she wore beautiful brooches. She looked like Audrey Hepburn. She had like all the urban right style and edge going on, beautiful red lipstick. And I was sitting there with her asking her, how did you do this? And she says to me, it's God. I'm like, oh. And the same reaction, the same self-rejection came up. And I said, well, what do you mean? Like, I'm gay. I've read 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Romans 1, Leviticus 18. And like, I don't really want to talk about God, okay? Like, and Jesus and all of that. Like, thank you so much, but let's just move the conversation right on. I'm really glad you found your truth. And she said, well, David, yeah, I, I actually can't imagine what that must be like. That's the first time I'd ever seen humility in a Christian. It was so relieving. She didn't look at me like she'd worked everything out. She entered the mystery with me and she was like, yeah, that's really hard. I'm just trying to imagine what that would be like for me if I was in your shoes. Gosh. Whoa. Whoa, and she starts to like manifest in the Holy Spirit in front of me. And I'm like, well, excuse me, like, is everything okay? It was, did someone spike your drink? And she's like, whoa, and like, hello. <laughs> she's like, no, it's his love. It's his love for you, David. It's his individual, spe specific love that's like no other for you. And I couldn't deny that there was something real about what was going on. It was so strange. It was like being in Harry Potter. I was like, is there a whole world of witchcraft and wizardry? You know, this whole kingdom of God that's like from this totally other place. And so she says to me, David, I wouldn't usually do this, but I have a question for you. Have you experienced the love of God? And what she was pointing me to is not the answer about homosexuality, she was pointing me to a far deeper thing that I needed that could help me understand my sexuality. And that's the irony is that the Christian faith actually helps you understand sexuality better than anything else. The secular world doesn't have any answers. They don't know why anyone's gay. They can't explain it. But this deeper answer of it's because God wants to reveal his glory in a special way. <laughs> that's why I think He's allowed it. And yes, it does require suffering. Yes, I can't as easily access marriage as a straight person because marriage is between a man and a woman in God's creation. It's the only place for sex and sexual activity because God made sex to be a covenantal good that has to be 100% exclusive and has to be according to his plan and purpose, not to condemn LGBTQI plus people, but to reflect the future glory that's coming, the future state that's coming, where marriage will actually pass away and the thing it points to will come and every human being can be included into that. I'm 100% included in that. I'm only excluded from one created good to be more radically included in its eventual transformation. Oh, so cool. And actually, by being a celibate gay Christian, I'm more queer 
than gay marriage, like trying to be like the straights. That's more weird. That's more odd. But no, I have to be normal. I have to be told that being gay is exactly the same as being straight. It's not. It's different. It's a different glory, the same gospel, the same Christ, the same faith, but a different glory. Have you experienced the love of God? And so she prays for me, and in this moment, as she's praying for me, it's like everything stopped. And I felt this hovering sensation over my head, and it was like someone pouring oil over my head. You know, in the Psalms, it says, I've anointed my servant David with my sacred oil. And there was this beautiful oil of, like, joy and intimacy and life. And I was, as I felt this presence come into my body like fire, I knew that this was the love that I had been searching for. This was the love that that boyfriend had pointed me to. And last week, just before I preached the same kind of message, he actually emailed me this boyfriend from 20 years ago and said, David, I was in an ashram in Kashmir following a new age religion. And in this moment of meditation, this frightening light came into the room and I think it was a descent of the Holy Spirit and Jesus has revealed himself to me and I've given my life to Jesus. Like this love can't be stopped. And I have prayed for that boyfriend for years and God has done it. Maybe he doesn't know all the answers about sexual ethics. That's going to take time. But Jesus has come into his life and he has found the thing he was ultimately created for more than sex more than any gender identity, there's something even deeper, and that's the greatest source of human identity. And in this moment, I had finally found it, and I cannot tell you the sweet relief of knowing that presence, knowing what I was really created for, and what I long for every person to know is that exact same love, because you are never the same. It is the best thing you will ever know in life. It is the pearl of great price. It is the the field you sell everything for. It's the mad love that this culture is trying to find. That is the center piece of human identity, and yet our society is currently quite bent on denying it because of being gay. I'm like, not on my watch. No. You're not using my gay identity to deny that for people. It is real, and it's the greatest thing we've got. And it has transformed the whole landscape of societies for thousands of years. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's good news for everyone, LGBTQI plus people included. And if that offends you, then maybe you need to experience more of that love. Maybe you are not really in it. And God is inviting you tonight to step deeper in. And in this moment, I hear this voice say, do you want me? And I saw this veil over my heart, and suddenly I find myself saying yes. And this pinprick of light coming in the innermost part of my being, and this breath filling me. And I said to her, I'm breathing without breathing what's happening to me. She said, David you're being born again. I was like, no, I'm not a right-wing American Republican. Thank you very much. Uh, no, she's like, that's not what that means. It means your spirit is being reconnected to God's spirit. And I was like, oh. <laughs> she's like, I'm just going to keep praying for you. So she keeps praying for me. And this presence like breathing through my whole being and filling with air. It was amazing. And I was like being revivified. And this veil was lifted. 
And I heard this voice say, will you accept my son Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And in this moment, I felt like two forces, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light, were like fighting over my soul. And suddenly, I just found myself saying yes, like I couldn't resist it. It was just too good. And then this flood of the love of God, and I was weeping and weeping. I was like salted with fire and being healed from within, but it wasn't like emotionalism. It was like I was being changed and made a whole new being. And yet I was still gay. <laughs> I was still attracted to men. God didn't zap that away. But I was still a new creation. And I was invited into this tension of being, having a body under the law of sin and death, and yet having a whole new creation life within me of Jesus Christ. And so I go home that night, and my mom's waiting up, and I'm going to have to eat my words. And remember, this passage used to be the passage in my mind that kept me from God in Romans 1. This passage about the wrath of God and the godlessness of people outside of God's, God's church, outside of Israel at the time. And that's what I thought my mom believed that there was no way in for me. And so I said to her, choose between the delusion in your head or your real son standing right in front of you. So there I am walking into the house, <laughs> having to eat these words. And so she's like, David, is everything okay? What's, what's happened? And I said, well, I um, just think I've, I've become a, mm, just uh, become a, a Christian. Hallelujah, I knew he's the God of the impossible. Because David, you, I said to him, if he saved you, I'd give him my whole life. Because, well, I said to him, he, that you were impossible to save, and look, he's done it. You are saved. We knew about this. There was a prophecy your uncle gave three months ago, and it's exactly three months. I was like, you knew about this? And God had actually revealed my salvation to my family before I was saved. And it was just the most incredible moment of seeing God's mercy and grace for me, but as a message to the church of the mercy and grace he wants to pour out into so many other lives that feel rejected, that sit under the curse of this law. And this law is good. This law is spiritual. This is the theology of the Old Testament, that we have fallen and we're under this law but that's an old glory. That's nothing compared to what then comes in Jesus Christ, which is a greater righteousness. And what I now love about Romans 1 is it's actually the passage that spells my inclusion into the people of God. So the very passages that I thought condemned me were actually the passages that also are about my inclusion into this new people, this new creation people, where even gay people, even eunuchs, even those who exist outside the easy binary of male and female can now become righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. And I agree with this theology, but it doesn't do anything to save anybody. If that's all we preach, there's no gospel. That particular part. It's still important for the gospel, but it's not the gospel yet. And so Paul describes how we fell and how idolatry has twisted our desires and we've all got broken sexual orientations, heterosexual, homosexual, 
And that homosexuality, the same-sex act, was a sign that, that we'd broken from the Creator and that things had become far from his original plan. But then, and you see that there, that abandoning natural relations with women and being inflamed with lust for one another. So it's interesting, it involves not just male homosexuality, but also female homosexuality, which explains Old Testament passages like Leviticus 18. So this is not being denied, the law is not being denied, but it's not where we find our ultimate righteousness. And Paul is writing to this particular group that's saying the Gentiles exist outside the righteousness of God. They cannot be justified by faith in Jesus Christ. They are unclean, defiled, idolaters, and they must be circumcised. And Paul says to them, who has bewitched you? Do you not know that you were justified through faith in Jesus Christ, through the Spirit of God in Galatians? And here, he's about to make a very similar argument. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Church, the people who are under the law actually are often the most religious types of people. It was the prideful Jewish people who were trying to live up to the righteousness of the law with the very people who were blocking God's plan in Jesus Christ to give a greater righteousness to the world that included everyone, including me. That's why I could be saved in that pub in the gay quarter of Sydney. But so often the church has actually blocked the, the gospel of Paul and not been the church that understands its own justification through faith. We are born from this stuff, church. This is our gospel. We do not just preach the law. We preach salvation through Jesus Christ by faith. And Paul says to these legalists who are trying to block his gospel, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And unfortunately, in the church, because we haven't preached this offer of salvation to all, there is a huge group of people who walk around and the name of God has been blasphemed because of us as the church. Because we've taken this legalistic route that's easier for our flesh, that doesn't require us to die and come into new creation life. So this is actually the problem. We are the problem, church, if we don't step out of the way and let God offer salvation to the world in Jesus Christ through this greater righteousness. And there was this group in the Old Testament called eunuchs who were people who didn't easily fit in the binary of male and female, who couldn't procreate, couldn't easily marry, and this was often an act of oppression within a kind of imperial system these people were put over usually harems or over possessions of very wealthy people and that they wouldn't take that and try to give it to their children or their progeny. And so they were kind of like a gender or sexual minority of the ancient world. And this is what God says to these eunuchs who can't easily enter the temple, can't easily enter his holy presence. He says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. 
So me as a gay person who's been justified by faith freely through Jesus Christ and has said, you know what, God, my whole life is yours. I give it up because I've been given this incredible gift of salvation through Jesus, his whole body, his whole being. And I say back to him, you can have mine. That's actually what marriage is supposed to reflect, that act of self-giving, a full self-giving where you don't own any of yourself anymore. Your body is not yours to do what you want with. It's Jesus's. He bought it at a price. It's signed, sealed, delivered for the Lord. No messing around. That's what this holiness is about. It's about an exclusive love. And yes, it's true that I can't easily have marriage. I can't have sons and daughters in the way that heterosexual people can more easily. And I experience a lack because of that. But what does God say to people like me? He says, well, I'm going to give you something even better than having sons and daughters. And in, in Acts 8, there's an Ethiopian eunuch and he's the first person outside of Israel in the book of Acts to receive salvation. And what is he reading? He's reading Isaiah 53, 8, just three chapters before this passage. And what does Isaiah 53, 8 describe? It says about the prophecy of the cross. Who has heard of his generation? In other words, when Jesus dies on the cross, he doesn't have any kids. He becomes a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And what God offers me is a name better than sons and daughters. It's the name of Jesus Christ. It's the name that that eunuch received in that moment and was baptized. And so whatever I lack, in my celibacy. I'm given something even greater than that by God. And do you see, like, this is all understood by God. This is all in God's word. It's not something that he doesn't think about or hasn't, you know, provided some scriptural information, you know, to, to help me live out my, my path now. And I'm trying to communicate how deep this is, how integrated this actually is within Jesus's own person, that he identified with me in my lack and gives me a fullness, something greater than having kids and getting married. And at the end of all time, there's this picture of the church of 144,000, and it says there that there are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. They followed the Lamb wherever He goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Celibacy in the church has such a high place. Celibacy in God's eyes of just giving up our sexuality means that we can follow the Lamb wherever He goes. So now I don't look at my sexuality as this horrible burden, but I see it as a burden, yes, in one sense, but an incredible gift which allows me to have a name better than sons and daughters, allows me to follow the Lamb wherever he goes, and to receive a glory even greater than the thing I lack. And so we've talked about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and there's that prophecy there, you know, who can speak of his descendants? Where are his kids? Jesus was a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom. I, in some sense, have become a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom as a gay man. But that's not something to be pitied. That's something incredible. And actually, Jesus was the new creation person. He was the new creation human, and he doesn't get married. Marriage is finished. 
And so we live in the tension between these two states of the heavenly reality of celibacy and spiritual friendship, which will be for all eternity. One day when we're raised, we're going to be united with each other in perfect, holy, ecstatic friendship that you couldn't even imagine. You imagine every human heart fully unified in glory. And we get to start that now. And I'm not saying marriage isn't a beautiful thing, but it's just not as good as even that. Like, marriage is incredible, but that glory is even greater. And if we privilege the sign, marriage, over the signified, the thing that's signifying, then marriage breaks apart. Marriage loses its substance. And so I'm te- I want to get this into you guys as a church that, like, actually the LGBTQI plus community is really vital as a gift for plumbing more deeply into the mysteries of God. And I think that's why he's allowed there to be all of these different, ex- different experiences of gender and sexuality, of intersex, and why we're at this moment in the church wrestling. It's not because the gospel isn't true. It's precisely because it is. It's precisely because we have to go deeper into the mystery of the unity between heaven and earth, Jesus and the church, this marriage feast of the Lamb that we're all invited to. Thought in your mind, I'm maybe not invited to that, that wedding feast tonight. You are invited. Jesus invites all of us to that wedding feast. There is this radical inclusion of all people but there's also the calling to radical holiness. What Paul is trying to teach us in Romans 1 to 3 is that we cannot, we cannot make the law a license to condemn. And equally, we cannot make grace a license to sin. The law teaches us what sin is, but it is, can provide no grace to help us with that problem. And Jesus is inviting us into the center of that tension of radical holiness and radical inclusion of all people. And so thank you for listening tonight. I hope you've been able to peer over the horizon of just how amazing the future is in Christ and how inclusive God is, but also how holy he is and how these liberal and conservative perspectives are trying to tear the gospel apart, try to tear us away from the truth of God rather than the deeper way into it, which is to live into that tension where Jesus is found. Thank you for listening.